Hello everyone. Do you wish you had someone to talk to about the latest 90 Day Fiancé episode? Do you get frustrated listening to podcasters who chat about themselves or an unrelated topic? Well, this podcast is the answer you've been looking for. We aren't afraid to tell you what we think of the cast or their behavior. Our show is raw and honest. We don't hold back because you deserve a conversation that makes you feel like you've just talked to your best friend and the 90 day world makes sense again. Welcome to 90 Day Fiance Honestly. Hi, Amy. Hi, B. Today we're recapping 90 Day Fiance Season 10, Episode 7. Yes. In watching this week's episode, I felt as though we could spend the entirety of this podcast talking just about Ashley and Manuel. Oh, God. There's so much going on in their relationship. It was so difficult to watch. Yeah. He's a very difficult human being, and I found him to be very, I guess we'll get to it, but just triggering. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and talk about it just yet, but I was just noticing that if Ashley really had her way about it, she would not be sticking with Manuel. I think that she's just hanging out with him for the duration of the 18 episodes so she can collect her paycheck. At least mm. I hope that's the case. And I hope that for a bunch of these couples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But I really, really hope that for her sense of self and her sanity, that she sends him back to Ecuador at the end of all of this. Without further ado, let's dive into all the drama. And let's yes. start with everyone's favorite couple, Jasmine and Gino, of course. Yeah. Why doesn't he roll down the window all the way when he's talking to the producer? It was such an odd moment. I felt like he was protecting himself from the producer as if they're a person who might at any moment wrestle Gino out of the car. It was so bizarre. So Jasmine says pointedly, I don't feel love. That's her trauma speaking, the abandonment. Mm-hmm that she's afraid to feel because of what happened in her childhood when her dad left. So this argument that she's having with Gino when she accuses him of cheating has triggered that really deep-seated fear. And it makes sense. Jasmine has no trust in Gino or in men in general, more than likely, and why she would react in this very, very over-the-top way to the potential of losing Gino. Yeah, I found that to be very hard to watch because I think it really gave us some more insight into why Jasmine reacts the way that she does. And my heart really, really broke for her because I can see why this would obviously be very triggering for her and would cause her to have this kind of substantial reaction. I think her fear of abandonment makes her want to run away instead of fixing things. So I'm glad that she didn't run away back to Panama. It was difficult to watch, but I think that she explained herself very well. But I don't think that Gino actually heard what she was saying. Like he heard her, but he didn't really hear what she was saying. Because he kept saying that it was all about her jealousy, but it wasn't her jealousy. It's just the way that her trauma just exhibits itself comes out as that jealousy. But in reality, she said it so well, she just doesn't feel loved and it's just so sad to to hear her say that out loud. And I'm pretty sure it was very difficult for her to actually say that. Yeah, she's talked about it just once before that I can recall. And it is so tragic and makes you feel so deeply for her that she experienced this when she was really young, this sense of loss, this sense of abandonment, and that it's carried over into her adult relationships so much. 
At one point, Gino finally calms down. And this is while they're still outside the car. And he says what she needs to hear, which is he loves her. He's Mm -hmm. not cheating. He would never do that to her. And he would never risk losing his relationship with Jasmine. And those words seem to hit home and she finally relaxes and she's able to sort of take it all in and breathe and come back to a normal state, which is great. And in the next scene, we see that there's 81 days left in their 90 days. So they've only just passed the week mark, which is insane for how much has happened. Yes, of course. And Jasmine's talking about how it's going to take a while before she can forgive Gino. And I'm thinking, for what? Didn't we already establish that he didn't cheat on her, that the lipstick in the car was some kind of a plant or a fluke or just an accident? It wasn't anything actually real and and horrible. I still think that this event set her back with her distrust of him. So even though it may have been a planted or fabricated event, it's still very much real in her mind. So she's still going to need to process, digest, and learn to move on from this, even though it wasn't an actual event, because in her mind it was real. So that's kind of sad, but that's also the another element of trauma. That is very sad because Gino did nothing. And yet mm-hmm. she feels like forgiveness is due somewhere along the line, and she's not at that point where she can give it yet. So like you said, something in her mind is is real, although we don't see it as real. And Gino more than likely doesn't see it as real, but she has to somehow get over it, which she does by doing the cleaning. Mm-hmm. I thought that was that was really good of her to say the cleaning helps my anxiety because that's a very well-founded thing in the, the mental health community where the way that your home is, is kind of exhibiting what's going on in your brain. So a clean home relaxes the brain, clears things out, and just creates more of a calm atmosphere. So I thought that that was a very healthy mechanism for her, even though she might be a little over the top about it. But I still think that that was a a healthy coping mechanism for her. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to cleaning as a way of dealing with stress. Mm -hmm. And how just doing the vacuuming or doing the dishes or doing a load of laundry, those mundane tasks can, they can start up your parasympathetics reactions and all the body starts to relax and you just feel a little better. And I think it's in those moments when you come up with the thoughts or the solutions to things that you hadn't thought of before that you weren't able to because you were in that stress state. Mm -hmm. So she's in this more relaxed state, which is very clear from how she's acting on screen. And we find out that she's been going through drawers and she's found this memorabilia from Gino's previous relationships, which makes her go crazy yet again. She's triggered. There's no end to this cycle of Jasmine going off the deep end and something setting her off. I think she was maybe not snooping because obviously she was cleaning. However, I wouldn't be surprised if she was looking for something to complement her already or her her mistrust with Gino. So she was looking for something to to make this thing that happened more real, which is supported by the other things that she's found in his home. I still think that she was still dealing with the whole lipstick episode, which is why this is still a big thing, because she knows for a fact that Gino doesn't throw anything out. We've seen that from the state of his place. It's entirely possible that he just threw it somewhere and completely forgot about it and 
her with her meticulous cleaning just found these random things and he was so calm when he was looking at it he's like oh yeah you found this stuff whatever i don't sure i don't need it throw it out and then she just like rips up that napkin which i thought was in typical jasmine fashion very dramatic Yes, very dramatic. So she's setting the stage when she's doing her vacuuming for Gino to come home so she can confront him. And you can see like on her face, she's barely holding it together. She is just on the absolute edge of full out rage. And she's just barely controlling it. Gino comes back. And then there's this thing about the dog, which I didn't quite understand. She's showing us two pictures of Coco and Gino's ex-wife's dog. Are we supposed to believe that Gino bought Coco and Gino bought the other dog as well? And he bought the same dog twice? I don't know. She said something about them being replaced, her and Coco being replaced. But in reality, isn't she the one replacing the other one? If there is a similarity between the two, then yeah, she would be the new model and they're the old models. So that should give her some comfort. But She takes this again very personally and internalizes it into some kind of, I'm not sure if it can really be attached to abandonment, but definitely a negative emotion where she's being overlooked somehow and she's getting the second best because he's already done it once with someone else. Now he's doing it again with you and he's just repeating the same pattern without thinking. He's not consciously making a choice for you and for your relationship. He's just kind of doing things by rote. Or repeating similar patterns. I'm not entirely sure, but I thought it was quite comical when they did show the two dogs, but they blurred out the other dog as if they were trying to protect the dog's privacy. Sure. I felt so hilarious. But you can you can see the real photo online without any blurring and they do look alike. I mean, I think it's the same breed of dog. So don't they all look alike? They're just those little white fuzzy floof balls. Did you catch the shirt that the dog was wearing? No. What was it? It it was covered in avocados. It was so cute. (laughs) And then on the same thing with the dog, Gino comes home and he says that he bought Coco some clothes and he pulls out that stupid little hat with the peace sign on it. Gino, of course, you would buy the dog a hat. (laughs) Yeah, the hat was cute, I must admit. Going back to how Jasmine found these items, I agree with you that she was snooping rather than just opening drawers, because you don't really have to clean inside a drawer. You might clean a shelf, something that collects dust, but why would you open a drawer? It doesn't make sense. Gino denies that he had this stuff in his drawers, which is clearly a lie, because this is typical Gino. Whenever she accuses him of something, his gut reaction is to say, no, I didn't do that, even if it's deceitful for him to do so. But Jasmine is really, really mad. So she has this somewhat of a confrontation with Gino and like you said tears up the napkin and leaves so we don't get a resolution once again at this point we've seen this pattern so many times Jasmine getting extremely jealous and having a wild reaction based on assumptions not on reality I'm starting to get bored of this the same arguments over and over the same screaming the same defense and denials from Gino, and the complete lack of any kind of resolution. It's getting to be repetitive, Mm -hmm. unbelievable. I can't see that if a normal person was in this situation, that they would put up with either one of them for any length of time without getting totally frustrated and just leaving. No, it seems as though they're both kind of perpetuating each other's 
issues. And I've said this several times, I just don't understand their relationship. And it's just so hard to watch now, especially with Jasmine becoming so much more self-aware and discussing all the things that she's experiencing. And yeah, it just seems as though they're repeating old patterns without actually doing any significant work. And I thought it was rich when she told poor Coco that he needs doggy therapy. But in reality, both her and Gino are the ones that need the therapy, both separate and couples counseling. She would obviously think about the dog first. Jasmine goes to the spa for a nice mani-pedi on Gino's tab, of course. And because she's mad at him, she says she doesn't care how much money she spends, which was amusing. And she meets Michelle at the salon, which is really nice. Jasmine says that she's the only member of Gino's family that she feels comfortable and safe with. And I'm glad there's at least one person for her. I thought their interaction was really was really sweet and really honest. I feel like Michelle actually got through to her, especially when she said that her her husband also has memorabilia from exes and she was fine with it. And Jasmine kind of has this like come to moment where she's like, so it is okay. I did overreact. There was like that moment of self-realization. Yeah, Michelle is obviously totally secure in her relationship with her husband. And so she doesn't have any adverse reactions to finding old stuff from other relationships that don't exist anymore. And like you said, it puts it in perspective for Jasmine, where we see her come around. And we've seen this few a few times already where she does make a conscious choice. Okay, I was wrong. And I'm going to go to Gino and I'm going to apologize now. But Michelle does something incredibly stupid, which is to let it slip that Gino had a bachelor party the night before Jasmine arrived in the United States. Whoops. Oh. Yeah. So when Jasmine finds out about the strip club, she wants to know everything. Everything. Oh, boy. Was he touched? Oh, (laughs) my God. She's partly mad because she understood that from Gino that she was going to arrange his bachelor party when she arrived. And I'm sure it would have been so much more fun than going to a strip club. Not. (laughs) So she feels betrayed that Gino didn't say anything about having had a party before she came to Michigan. So he's lying to her once again. And she's also feels betrayed by the fact that he was, oh, no, gasp in the company of nearly naked women who may have touched him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she's 36 or 37. Does she not know what a strip club is at this point in her life? Does she not understand that the women in the strip clubs are paid to pay attention to Gino and they have no interest in him beyond what dollar amount he happens to have in his wallet? Is I don't that think naive? that she thought about that at that moment in time. Her her brain probably went right to he's with naked women, he's cheating, they're touching him. It's now it's that whole trust issue, and now it's just it's created so much more drama and more issues with them. And I think the next episode's going to be super messy, and she's going to do that scream crying thing again. Yeah, so we're just stuck in this perpetual cycle, which is what I was talking about earlier. It's extremely Mm -hmm. repetitive, unhealthy, and we see it so much now. It's not unexpected, and it's getting to the point where it's just, okay, so they're going to sort of resolve this somehow or ignore it altogether and pretend it never happened, and then they're just going to get into it again the next day. Can't they do something different? No, I don't think so. I think we're we're stuck with this for a while, but... I agree. It's 
boring. It's redundant. I can deal without seeing what happens next, but. Okay, let's move on to Sophie and Rob. We see them just the day after Sophie left Rob's house. I was really surprised at the timeline. I thought there was much more time and space in between when we saw her leave Rob's apartment and when she found her new one. And But it's just the day after. Can you believe it? And okay, so. Surprised. Where did the time go? Or where did this time come from? I, I don't know. It was just, it's been a night, but. Isn't it odd? Yeah. So Sophie caves. She invites Rob over to talk. She does say one thing that I found rather funny, which is that she called Rob's house gross, which may Mm -hmm. be the first time that she's ever been honest about what his living situation is like. He arrives with a rose, ugh, a single rose, as if that says anything except, this is all I can afford because I don't have a job and I don't care enough to go get real flowers for you. Not that flowers are going to solve anything, but if you're looking to play the part of a man who is doting on his woman and trying to say, I'm sorry, at least put in a tiny bit of effort. Oh, wait a second. It's Rob. He doesn't put in any effort. He's Mr. Minimal Effort. I should have known better. Yes. And I love that he comes in and he's like, oh, I got you this rose. And then later on in their conversation, he's like, but I got you the rose. And, you know, that's my first attempt at trying to fix things. And smell the rose. Isn't it lovely? As if this one long stem rose is supposed to be this grandiose gesture. But here we go back to his Disney thinking that Mm -hmm. tiny, tiny, minute effort, if you can even call it effort. I mean, he had to stop and buy it, I guess. So that's something. But I mean, at least he didn't recreate a whole dance or do Mm -hmm. any kind faux choreography but did you catch when he walked in the door he didn't even shut it behind him he just kind of like tapped yeah. it <laughs> yeah i bet you that's what he does at his gross place because who cares about vermin when they're already in and out so what's the point in closing <laughs> <laughs> oh gross so throughout his conversation with sophie he looks decidedly relaxed which i was thinking he should not be feeling relaxed right now that's a bit insulting to sophie because mm-hmm. she hasn't forgiven him yet. So why are you looking so comfortable and at home? You should be looking scared. You should be looking worried. You should be looking concerned. You should not be feeling like, oh, I got this. She's coming back to me. No problem. But that's who Rob is. Like he obviously either believes that she, he just thinks that he's this God's gift to women and she mm. just needs to forgive him because, you know, he's, he's better than anything else that she could get. Maybe it's just his way of thinking about who he is and how great he is and yeah so yes, I can say I second that yeah so he minimizes his affairs by calling them junk mail and anytime he starts a sentence he says it's just blah 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 as if it's just a small thing no it's not it's still cheating and you've done it twice now he defends himself against Sophie's claim that he's not loyal by saying that he's been 1000% committed to her since she got there. Only since then? Since Only she, since she arrived no. there? What? What kind of a minimum bar does this guy set for his standard of relationships? I don't even think there is a bar. <laughs> All right. And then, boom, there it is. What we predicted last week comes true. He blames his cheating on the fact that it was a long distance relationship. And that's hard. So he's not responsible. The distance and the difficulty is responsible. Mm -hmm. At least he's not blaming Sophie directly. But if you think about it, 
he's indirectly accusing her as being the reason why he had to resort to online cheating because she lives so far away. But it wasn't online cheating. It was like online junk mail. So he was just reviewing his junk mail. Uh, How often do you respond to junk mail by sending an explicit video of yourself, Amy? I've never done such a thing. (laughs) Precisely. Never have I even considered doing such a thing. But this apparently is more than a one-time thing for him. It's at least twice. And Mm -hmm. I believe that there would be more times if she looked even further. Gross. Mm, Rob wants a chance to make it up to Sophie. And finally, he says that he's sorry, which is nice to hear. But poor Sophie, as soon as she hears that, she agrees to give him a chance. We saw that coming. she She says she'll go back to Rob's shudder and try to work on their trust issues in the next 70 or fewer days that they have left. And Rob says, oh, it could have been worse. What? Just his attempts to minimize his deception are so awful. Isn't it bad enough that you hurt Sophie? It could have been worse. And even like when they're having their conversation and he's trying to quote unquote explain himself, everything is all me, 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 me. I did this mm-hmm. because long distance is so hard. Me, me, me. And at no point was he, did he say, I feel really bad about hurting her and I want to do and be better. No, no, no. We see no self-realization in him. It's all just BS. And he's just telling her the things that she wants to hear. And I thought it was really sad when she, when she really opened up and she's like, I have no one. I have nowhere to go. What else am I going to do? But she's catastrophizing because she already knows that she can go to wherever her mom is right now. She can go back home to England at any point. But instead, she makes a big issue of, I have nowhere to go. I'm pretty sure going back home to England with your mom is going to be better than going back to Rob's gross apartment. Exactly. And she does have her one friend in LA that we saw before when they went to the club. And she does have this apartment, which is probably an Airbnb. But... Mm -hmm. Yeah, she could go home if she wanted to. She could just get some distance and space and say, Rob, I need a breather. I'll check you later. Instead, she says that she's willing to work on things and she lets herself be won over by him very, very quickly. I was quite disappointed to see that, her rapid change of heart, because like we said last week, she's so young and she's so naive and she's so she's so apt to deceive herself into believing that she can change Rob and that he has the potential to be better than who we already see and know is the real him. And she also said when she was groveling about inviting him over, she said something to the effect of, but it's still Rob. So I think she's trying to yeah. reconcile this Rob who she fell in love with online versus the Rob that she has now so she's i think she's focusing on who he was before as opposed to who he's showing her that he actually is now so she's trying to find this support for this other guy who obviously doesn't really exist in in real life it was the online cheating so that was the online rob that she fell in love with and now she's got this one the real life rob who is just complete and utter trash. So I hope that she eventually sees what we're all seeing and she leaves. I I guess we'll find out in due time. Yes, we will. And this may be a little ray of hope in there somewhere. 
maybe as with Ashley, maybe Sophie is hanging in there just for the paycheck. And as soon as the filming is done, she's out of there. I I would hope so. But you know what I found interesting is she says about going back to Rob's place, despite saying how gross it was, but obviously she can afford the place that she's staying in. So why don't they just move into that place? Yeah, I don't think that that's a great idea, just based on the fact that she would be paying for that. Like he would say, oh, no, baby, I can't afford that. And I love my place or uh, my dog has to have a courtyard nearby. And this place doesn't have a courtyard. It doesn't even have an outdoor washroom. No, I like so. my long walks to the outdoor washroom. Yeah, maybe he does. <laughs> Either way, I feel I feel really bad for her. Is it time to go to our next couple? Yes. Next up are Ashley and Manuel. And we are back in the counseling session that we started last week. Manuel says there'll be time to meet his kids in response to Ashley claiming that she has very little to do with the large important things that are in Manuel's life, like his kids, whom Mm -hmm. she's never met. But when will there be time? They only have a couple of months left before they have to get married. So is he planning to have Ashley pay for the kids to come up to the U.S.? I don't think so. Or maybe is he thinking that they will go back to Ecuador together to visit his kids before the wedding? Of course not, because he's on a K-1 visa. The therapist said it very well when she said, isn't this the time to introduce her to your kids? You guys are about to get married. He says, oh, there's be plenty of time. I love this dismissiveness. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that he means plenty of time, meaning until he gets his green card and leaves Ashley. Oh, ouch. So the next excuse that he gives is she won't be able to understand his kids. The way they speak will make her go bananas and she'll do something crazy like what? They're teenagers. What kind of lame excuse is this? How can this be a reason not to introduce your fiance to your kids? I think he's worried that the kids are going to say something to set her off and she's going to go nuts. But I think it's just another stupid excuse that comes out of his mouth that doesn't make any sense like everything else. Yeah, I think there's definitely a larger reason for him not introducing her to the kids, which will probably have to do with the kid's mom or moms and a possible relationship that he has with one of them or both of them. I don't think he has any intention on introducing her to to his kids at all, because I think that he's very short-sighted. He's only there for one thing. And mm-hmm. meeting the kids is a moot point for him because it's just not going to happen. He's going to get what he wants, and then he's going to ditch her. This is but so dark. Even, she even said that he's very secretive about certain things, but those things are his kids and his family. And she says, you know, they're very, very close. So if, she's a, if she knows how close they are, then why did she have that ridiculous reaction when they were texting her to get a hold of him. If she knows about that relationship, wouldn't it just make sense that they were trying to get a hold of him? So she should just be like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Here. Talk to your family. Why was that such a big deal? That felt like a fabricated drama to me. It was entirely fake. And it's a good point that she's pointing out that he's close to his family. And yet she's, she's been kept at arm's length from his family especially the kids. So how do you reconcile that in your mind if your relationship is with somebody who's very, very close to his family and yet you are about to become a part of his family and you don't even know anything about any of them, let alone his kids? That's a huge red flag. As if we didn't have enough already for this guy? Yeah, I think he's just a walking red flag. 
So next we find out that Manuel has promised to send money, $250, back to Ecuador. Oh, excuse me. Ashley has to send money because Manuel, of course, neither has a job nor money. Yet he's been promising this cash flow to his family members without having talked to Ashley about it. What the heck? How does he think that he's going to obtain this money without her knowing? Like, how did he think that he was going to be successful in transferring this cash when he has none and also without her knowing? I don't understand what his thought process was. Yeah, that's a good point. Did he think that he was going to have access to her bank account or she was going to be giving him some kind of allowance so that he could freely send money back to his family without her even really taking notice of it? But the fact that he's saying to her at the therapist's office, no less, oh, you're going to have to send this money. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? It's just incredible. How can you keep this a secret? How can you not tell your partner about this? Because everything with him is a secret. He even said, my my life is a secret. Yeah. He also says everything in due time. But like you just said, my life is private. So when is he planning to tell Ashley the non-private stuff, if the private stuff is off limits? And is she expected to wait until after the wedding for this due time to occur? He makes all of these loops and hoops that she has to jump through, and he doesn't tell her any of it. He doesn't explain what he's thinking. So not only is she completely confused about what is actually happening, which is that he's keeping secrets and not talking to her, then she has the added confusion and mess of figuring out that he's planning things for her to do for his family without even having told her. And she basically has no choice but to go through with it when she finds out about it, because a normal person who loves their partner would want to support them and help them. I think this is this is their relationship in its entirety. He keeps his secrets. She gets the bare minimum and she just goes along with it. I'm still not sure why. Conjecture online is that she's quote unquote dickmatized. Mm -hmm. I still don't know. But again, it just seems as though this is what their entire relationship is. His secrets, her going along with everything, him giving nothing, her giving everything. And even in the, <laughs> the therapy session, the the counselor says that, you know, she needs to work on uh, trusting him more. And he makes some offhanded comment about, yeah, you have a lot of work to do. And the counselor then tells him that he needs to open up more. And he's like, oh, it's all just, it's all her. It's all her problem. Yeah, absolutely. He lets himself off the hook as far as any future work goes in the therapy session while basically admonishing Ashley for not working hard enough at all of her problems putting all of the burden of change and any possible future on her and none of it on him. It's just unbelievable. Like I wanted to smack him so hard. I'm sorry, I'm getting angry now. I wanted to smack him so very hard. It's a lot nicer right. than what I was going to do. In <laughs> visions. At a minimum, I think that Manuel should be willing to make adjustments. I'm trying really hard to be nice. But he's already making excuses such as, I've lived alone for most of my life. Huh? He was a kid at home in Ecuador being looked after mommy for the first part of his life. Then, very early in his 20s, he became a father. So he was living with a woman and his child and then children. 
And now he's in Rochester with Ashley. When has he, in all of his 34 years of life, lived alone, much less lived alone for most of his life? I wonder if he's referring to living alone when he travels around for work and he's bouncing around to different places and that's him being alone, maybe. Of right, for three months at a time. Just lies and excuses fall out of this man's mouth like it's Niagara Falls. Mm -hmm. He's dissembling. He's trying to hide all of the glaring red flags that he has in his life. He's shady. He's evasive. He's deceitful. And he's absolutely going to shred Ashley's heart to pieces when he finally takes off to wherever it is that he's planning on going. I know this is going to happen. It's just a question of how much more he's going to tolerate from her before he leaves. And perhaps he wants the green card first or just the marriage license. I'm sure he could probably get away with just the license. I still think that he's in it just to get the green card and then he's going to ditch her and just go with the rest of his family. And I think that it's very telling that he didn't even say anything about him having family in the States at all. And all of a sudden now he's in the States and she finds out that he does have family. Yeah. This man has absolutely no good qualities in any capacity. He's just absolutely infuriating and just throw the whole man out. Mm -hmm. Ashley takes Manuel out for a meal at a restaurant. I can't tell if it's lunch or dinner. I would not take him out. Would you? After all his shenanigans at the therapist's office? I definitely would not, no. Nope. He says... You and your therapist in the most derogatory tone. And then he calls the therapist a clown. Ugh. A clown. His his tone alone was just so aggravating. And then to not only insult Ashley, but the counselor was, uh, uh, no, just yeah, so I'd- awful. His the, the tone, the condescension, the belittling, it was just so awful. I really wanted to turn it off, but I had to watch and I had to see what they were saying. I got a very strong whiff of misogyny in this conversation. Mm. In the Just the entitlement and the misogyny was rampant. It was disgusting. He says, if she, meaning the therapist, if she helped you, that's good. I don't need any work. Of course. Yes. Ah. And he also makes a derisive comment about Ashley wanting support. He's saying support for what? He has no intention of doing anything or supporting Ashley emotionally, financially. He says that fixing things by using a therapist is a gringo thing. And I'm sorry, but is Ashley considered a gringo? Is that not a white person term? I I have only ever heard it used as a derogatory term towards white people, I believe, mm-hmm. but I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not certain. He can't even concede that going to therapy might be a human thing, not a gringo thing, and that people do it whenever they realize that they need help and support to fix a problem. Like, what do you do when you have a plumbing problem? Do you fix it yourself? What if you're not qualified and you know nothing about pipes? Do you not call somebody and ask for help from a person who is qualified and understands the situation, how to fix it? He's completely out of his mind. I think any normal human being would realize that you would call a professional when you have an issue that you are not capable of dealing with yourself. 
but we already know that there's nothing wrong with him and he has nothing to fix. So he thinks that it's just a complete waste of time. And this is the therapy is probably just another one of her witchy things that he really doesn't want to have any part in. But he only went, I think we said this last week, he only went because the producers probably forced him to go. But he's he's not. He's not going to go back. But I thought it was hilarious when she was saying, you know, you're at like a 12 and I need you to be at a two and you need a nap. Mm -hmm. Before we get to the napping, we find out very definitively that Manuel will not go back for a second visit. Of course not, because he thinks that they can fix things on their own and they're not babies. Therefore, they don't need help. Interesting choice of words. And just like everything else, he shows Ashley complete disdain and a lack of respect for anything that she's interested in, concerned about, involved with, or wants to participate in. He's so insolent and abusive at the table. I'm surprised that she was able to sit through the entire meal. Here's one problem that I had. Even if you believe, like Manuel does, that the therapy isn't worth it and it doesn't work, which he expresses when he says, if you have a problem with your husband, you talk about it and then resolve the issue together. You have a conversation. So even if he believes that premise, he's not actually talking. Ashley has been trying to get him to open up since he arrived. And he's been stonewalling her the whole time saying that he needs his privacy or that questions will get answered in due time. So there is no solution that he's giving her, no, nothing that he's offering her. He's blocking the therapist route for obvious reasons, which is that he doesn't want her, the therapist, to see through him and tell Ashley that she's being used. And he's also blocking his suggestion for an alternate route, which is to talk about things between the two of them. So Ashley has no recourse whatsoever. If Manuel says he's fine the way he is and he doesn't want to change or discuss things, then she's blocked on all fronts. There's no way forward. And that should be enough for her to see. He's obviously, obviously doesn't believe that he has anything he needs to fix. And she should just acknowledge the fact that this man's never going to change. He's never, he's never going to compromise. He's never going to work with her. He's going to continue on with all of these secrets. And she just needs to to cut the cord but she they get into that argument thing where he's just like okay go bye but shouldn't she have said that to him because he's the one who should be leaving where where is he gonna go if she just picks up and leaves leaves but i feel like this is ashley's biggest issue with this is the i think it's called the sunken time fallacy where she's like you know we put so much time and effort into this like two plus years and we put too much time in this just to let it go. Babe, you've put in more than enough time. It is, it's past the time where you need to let this, this man go. Just get rid of him. Well, I think we see that in her minimization of his behavior. Like when she tells him to go get a nap or when she says, you are so grumpy right now, you're a grumpy cat. No, he's not a grumpy cat. He's a dismissive, abusive man. And he's mm -hmm. taking advantage of you. And he is to your face telling you that he's not going to do anything to change any tiny little shred of who he is right now in this moment. So she's minimizing that stuff, probably because she doesn't want to see it, but also because of this time investment that she's made. And she doesn't want that to be for nothing, which is very sad. It is very sad. So when she talks about the nap, I was wondering... Is she going to slide into bed next to him 
if he does take a nap and repeat this very toxic cycle of makeup sex after an argument that never gets addressed or resolved. Therefore rewarding his behavior. I would believe Mm -hmm. that that's how it goes. That's assuming he eventually does get into the car. Yeah. For me, it all boiled down to the question that she posed to him at the end when she said, is this issue, which is important to me, important to you? And his answer was no. Not even a pause to consider the question. He shuts her down immediately. That's not a partner. That's a leech. A partner would be concerned where you are concerned. They would show compassion if you feel badly about something that you feel is important. But Manuel has zero compassion, zero understanding or respect, and zero intention of doing anything about it. He's using Ashley, period. Yeah, I wonder how long it's going to take for her to actually realize that because it's just, it's so obvious. The worst part is they haven't even talked about the money issue They haven't even discussed the thing that he brought up in therapy, which is that he expects her to send money back to his family. So they haven't even tackled one of the most crucial issues that they should have resolved a while ago through him being honest and explaining what he expects from the start. They haven't even talked about it. And I wonder if they will, or if she's just going to send the money and then roll into bed with him again and just forget about that issue in addition to everything else. How, how does she think this is going to play out? How does he think that this is going to play out? I wonder what her tipping point is. Does she have a point where she will just put her phone down, look at him in the eyes and say, Manuel, I will not tolerate this behavior anymore. Get out. I wonder what that is, that moment for her. Is it going to happen or mm. is he going to end up leaving? Because he might yeah. get completely fed up with her and he might just peace out, which is kind of obvious when he said, okay, go by. He's just going to yeah. use her until the absolute last possible second un- until there's nothing left in it for him. He's just going to milk her dry and then move on. Yep. Have we said enough about those two? Yes. Let's go to Clayton and Anna Lee, who are waking up the day after that she's arrived. Did Panda sleep well? Stuff between the two of them? I would assume so, because I think that she slept on the very, very edge of the bed and made sure that that bear stayed exactly where he was. And I wonder how many times she woke up in the middle of the night to reposition the bear to ensure that he maintained his position there to make sure Mm -hmm. that Clayton couldn't roll over and touch her. Yeah. That poor bear is put in a very compromising situation. I I feel bad for, for the bear in this situation. I feel bad for Annalie because she can't even go take a shower without Clayton having to get up, go check the washroom to see if Closet Mom is in there. (laughs) But at least he offered to go check first and wasn't just like, okay, go. Yes, I suppose so. (laughs) We hear from Annalie, which a thing that we all know already, which is that she's too uncomfortable with the sound traveling through the apartment wall that separates her bedroom from Closet Mom. And so she doesn't want to be intimate with Clayton until they're alone, which is totally understandable. Perfectly normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So next thing is that Clayton decides to take them horseback riding, which is a great idea. But he tries to get a kiss and she's she's not having any of it. Oh, and she doesn't wear a seatbelt in the car. Did you see that? Well, I didn't notice that. No, Mm -hmm. that's very interesting. She never wears a seatbelt. But did you notice his car? How he had the the cables that were holding his trunk down and there was like duct tape all over the bumper and uh, front fender. Yes. I thought it was a joke at first. Oh, I saw it and I just laughed out loud. I'm like, how how is his car 
somehow in worse condition than Rob's car is or was. Again, the whole money thing, where's his money going? Still don't understand that. But when I saw his car, I burst out laughing and I had to rewind it just so I could see it again, just to make sure that I saw what I saw. And yeah, it looked like he rear-ended someone and he was somehow trying to keep the entire front end of his car connected with these... I forget what they're called. They're like the little hook, the stretchy hook thing. Yeah, the bungee cords. Bungee cords. Thank you. Yes. After their horseback riding adventure, we finally get to hear about why Clayton is a secret in Annalise's life with respect to her dad. She explains that the speed of their relationship has been one reason because I think they were engaged four days after they met. Wasn't that it? That's what she Yeah. So she didn't want to divulge that to her dad. And then things kind of spiraled out of control and she was trapped in her own lie. So she couldn't get out of it. And she said nothing as a result, except that she's gone to the United States for a job, not to meet Clayton. And she's going to now tell her dad that she has met Clayton when she's in the US in order to start the relationship with him so that then she can start confiding in her dad. And then Clayton says to her, well, what does how does that work for the timeline? Are you going to pretend that they're dating when they're actually married? And then at some point in the future, she's going to say, oh, we got married, even though they've been married for a while. It's very strange. It was a good point, though, because yeah, as she said, they got engaged four days after meeting. But, you know, she's in the States for three months and has to get married in that time. So I guess three months is a little better than four days. I, I don't well, understand her logic when it comes to that to that timeline. Clayton's obviously just as confused. Yeah, but it sounds like they're going to get married in three months. She's going to tell her dad that she's met somebody and they're dating, even though they're already married. And then maybe a year later, she's going to announce, oh, we are now married. Or maybe they would have a fake marriage. Who knows? But she clearly doesn't want to discuss this with Clayton and she shuts it down right away. And then I was noting that this is the real Annalie coming through, I think. She woke up spicy and I kind of like it. She's taking control of every situation. She's not compromising on anything she doesn't want to, whether it's kissing Clayton or sleeping in the bed with him or allowing him to climb on her like he did in the morning or talking about uncomfortable topics like the one that they were just discussing, things that have to be resolved in their 90 days or one would hope will get to be resolved within their 90 days. So I kind of like her. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of her mouth next. She kind of seems like a, a wild card. We haven't had someone like her in a while. She kind of reminds me a little bit, a little bit of Anfisa with mm -hmm. her attitude and her non-compromising position on certain topics. And she she's almost, almost a breath of fresh air with the way that she's speaking to him. And yeah, I think I think she's growing on me too. She has potential. Mm -hmm. The next thing that they do, along with Closet Mom, is to go to a bourbon tasting bar so that Clayton can introduce his sister Brandy to Annalie. And the fact that he's trying to lubricate this meeting with alcohol, I think, is not a very good sign. And when we do meet Brandy, she does not look happy at all. Even when she's giving or asking a normal question, it seems to be delivered with an attitude, this kind of snarky, sarcastic tone. She asks the question about social media. Why isn't Annalie 
showing anything on, about Clayton on her social media. And she is justifiably perplexed as to why Annalie's dad has been kept in the dark. And so Clayton explains the story. And then comes the question that every single friend or family member of a U.S. citizen on 90 Day Fiance, they all ask, how do I know you're not here for a green card? She even said beforehand, I'm, I'm worried that he that she's coming here to use my brother, but use him for what? Yeah, that was crickets. So yeah. we know that there's nothing that he could really be used for. Adelie explains she wouldn't leave her family for a visa. Why would you do that? Why would you leave everyone that you love and everything that you know behind for just a visa? And Brandy is really mean about the answer that that she's given. And her attitude is kind of rude and dismissive as if everything that Annalie says is a lie and Brandy already knows that it's a lie. She's not giving her a chance at all. And then she runs away in tears as if there's some big drama going on. But the thing is, I don't believe that Brandy is actually upset because she's worried for the couple for her brother's sake. I think that she's only worried for herself. She's clearly jealous of her brother. And she doesn't like the fact that he's so close to Annalie. She feels threatened that they're going to get married. And like Jasmine, I feel like Brandy has a fear of being edged out by another person in her relationship. And, and she wants to maintain that closeness with her brother no matter what. So she's willing to potentially sabotage his marriage in order to remain close to him. I don't know if that's her purpose, the jealousy really rubs me the wrong way. I can't imagine being jealous of of either one of my siblings' relationships enough to like to the point of wanting to sabotage it. And I'm pretty close with with both of them. I don't, like I don't see what her end game is. And obviously, he he made that comment about how how she's been jealous of his girlfriends in the past and. And she makes that excuse, you know, I think his last girlfriend cheated on him. She said, I think. Mm -hmm. And then she seems to think that this somehow justifies her behavior. But I think it's it's super, super strange. But I, I really liked it when she was having her super bitchy moment and he asks her, have you had enough to drink? Mm -hmm. And she says, no. So I wonder if there was an element of possible alcoholism or just drinking too much, which like, and that's what fueled her because she did come in with guns blazing. She didn't give uh, Anna Lee a chance at all, but th there's something with that, or at least her attachment with her brother that's concerning. Yes, agreed. It is concerning because you don't behave that way towards the person who is engaged to your sibling, the very first time that you meet them, you give them the benefit of the doubt at the very least. You're polite, you're cordial, and then you get to know them and then make an assessment as to what kind of a person you think they are if you want to be judgmental. But Brandy is just judgmental right off the bat and so snarky and sarcastic. I really felt for Annalie. I thought that she was not being given a fair chance if every answer you give is automatically dismissed or put into the category of a lie before you even get a chance to talk about it some more, what opportunity do you have to really show who you are? None. No, I really think that she was she was set up for, for failure from the very beginning with 
Clayton giving that, she might be a bit rude or bitchy, but that that's who she is. But I'm not quite sure how she's going to behave. So poor Annalise walking into the situation, not knowing what she's walking into. And sure enough, she just walks straight into, she walked into the firing squad and Clayton didn't set his sister back and say, you know, calm down. Don't need that attitude from you right now. Give her a chance. Be nice. But maybe he didn't really have a chance because there was only, what, 10 minutes before his sister ran off crying in a jealous rage. So, ew. Ew. Ew, indeed. I think we should move on to Nick and Devin. They're our last couple that we're going to talk about today. And it's going to be so quick. Oh, my gosh. Nick confirms his parents have approved the marriage. Yay. They want to do engagement photos. Yay. They're going to put on traditional Korean costumes. Awesome. And then he surprises Devin with a real proposal. Yay. That's about it. I thought the whole thing was super cute. I thought um, <laughs> Devin looked so, so, so pretty in her in her outfit. It made me really want to wear one because I feel like spinning in that skirt would just like it would poof out and it would be so much fun. They both just look so happy and it was kind of interesting to see such a a chill and happy entire episode with this one couple with them just being so happy like no conflict, no nothing. It was just it was really nice to see. It was so chill. I think that they're just a super cute couple and I I hope that they stick it out. Yes. Well, next week we see them go to Memphis. So their 90 days are just about to start. It's kind of cool. It's going to be a good episode. Yeah. And we also find out that Emily and Clayton are going to go to a hotel to get some alone time. Rob is going to try some more to woo Sophie back. Fortunately, it looks like they're still at her place, not his place yet. Manuel will reveal that Ashley is expected to send at least $300 a month to his family. Wow. And then finally, we're going to see um, Jasmine confronting Gino about the strip club and tossing her ring onto the floor yet again. It's so much uh, fun. At least, at least it was the ring and not the toothbrush again. Ooh, a toothbrush on that carpet. Yuck. Okay, Amy, do you have a tidbit for us this week? I don't. I don't. I'm sorry, everyone. The Everything online is focusing on the couple that shan't be named. As I said before, I'm not just going to make something up just to entice the, the listeners. So I'd rather keep it, keep it real and give you something juicy when I've got it. So I'm sorry, everyone. Sounds great. Thanks, Amy. If you're enjoying the 90 Day Fiance Honestly podcast, please do follow us or subscribe to the show. Your support means so much to us. See you next week. Thanks, everyone. 